you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must become your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. These are words from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 20. And Jesus is talking, of course, to his disciples. The, the setting for this is uh, two of his disciples have come to him, and they want to be assured of, of a high position when he comes into his kingdom. And uh, Jesus rebukes his disciples for that, that desire, and he tells them that they need to come to a place where they become servants. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. How are you at serving? I don't know, any of you who've had uh, children and, and, and had those young children come home with you after, after their birth, you know that sleep is a precious thing to you. And uh, I don't know if you can identify with me. I don't know how many of you have had this experience, but uh, we have, you know, these baby monitors in our room to let us know when, when our little treasure was, was awakened during the night. And uh, when those sounds start bubbling up through that little, little monitor, uh, I have to confess to you in, in the spirit of last week's sermons that uh, many times I would pretend to remain asleep. <laughs> huh? Any of you ever like that? I, I'm telling you. I, uh, my wife would, would uh, get to the point where she figured it out and would nudge me, and, and uh, I still would try and try. But, you know, I'm just, not, I'm just not a natural at serving. You know, I don't have the gift of helps. Ever say that to someone else or maybe to the Lord as you are, are prompted maybe to go and, and help someone else? This passage isn't just a tutorial from Jesus on avoiding pride and moving toward humility. It also is a call to his followers, to you and to me, that we would serve others and then ultimately reap the rewards of that service. The word in this passage for serve is, is the Greek word diakonos, and it's the, the word that we get in our English language, the word deacon. And if you've been to uh, churches that have deacon boards. They're the ones that, that are, are, are come together and they serve the church. From a Baptist background, they also give spiritual leadership. But the, the word diakonos is, is an interesting one. It's, it's made up of two separate Greek words, dia, throughout, through or throughout, and, and the other word is konis, which means, interestingly enough, dust. And so the, the word diakonos means dust throughout. And as one uh, commentator says, as one running an errand. The word to serve here means that we are moving something and we, we are stirring something up. We're moving toward so, something uh, with the attitude of a servant. You know, it's one thing to say we have community. We're all assembled here together and, and uh, we are, we are together worshiping and praying together, and we feel that, but it's quite another to become a healthy, functioning community. And one of our communal purposes is to serve others. And we are in this series 
what we do as a community. And uh, last week we talked about being a church that confesses. We confess our faith. We confess our faults. What we're also called to as a community is we are called to serve. We're called to serve others. Serving means you're purposely and actively putting your needs and desires to the side and making someone else's needs a priority and priorities of your own. Serving means you're purposely and actively putting your needs and desires to the side and making someone else's needs and priorities your own. You're going to put other people first. There are times uh, in my life where I've been on the receiving end of, of, of service. Uh, one of those times was years ago, about 19 years ago, my, my wife and I uh, went through a time where our, our daughter was seriously ill, had an operation, had a recovery period, and uh, we, we were uh, hunkered down uh, and trying to be with her during her recovery. And all the emotions that came with that, uh, we had some subsequent hospital visits with that. So it was, it was a time of, of, uh, of uh, struggle, turmoil, and we were part of a church community, a small group that uh, knew of this situation, and they did what was, it's almost cliche, but, it, but it's not cliche when it happens to you. They provided evening meals for us for, for a series of weeks as we went through this, this difficult time with our daughter and her recovery. And I remember evening, after evening, people pulling up to our house, delivering their meal, and uh, every time feeling so appreciative of that, that, that we are with a community that, that would take time out of their business busy schedule and, and their own interests and make our interests more important than their own. I want us to look at a passage, it's in your uh, bulletins, and uh, it's over in Hebrews chapter 13, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Hebrews 13, 1 through 3. We don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. The author doesn't identify himself. Many scholars think it's Paul. Others think it's uh, another one of the apostles uh, that, that wrote this letter. It's got some similarities to the apostle Paul. We don't exactly know who it was. But it's a beautifully written book. It's, it's got rich depth to it. It's, it's, it's highly theological. Uh, and uh, toward the end, like many of the New Testament letters, though, it gets practical. And uh, in, in uh, chapter 13, you, you, you get this rapid-fire uh, series of, of, of exhortations that the author gives to the early church, starting with verse 1. I just want to read these three verses. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing some... People have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. This is the Word of God. So the writer of Hebrews here is encouraging the church to live their lives as a demonstration of their love for God and their love for each other. So we're, we're called on in this passage to kick up some dust in, in some specific ways. First one, verse one, is that we, we begin and end with love. 
the, the uh, Greek text only has two words, Philadelphia, Philadelphia, mineto. Love each other as brothers continually, mineto. And, and uh, we translate it with, with more words in the English, but it, it, it says, keep on loving as brothers and sisters. All service begins and ends with love. Jesus taught us about God, who God was, and, and he came and emphasized three primary qualities that, that sort of shaped our, our view of God and how we relate to him. God as Father, God as Spirit, and God as love. And this is the emphasis here that, that uh, uh, the author of Hebrews gives us. He says, whatever you do, it has to begin and end with love. And then he gets more specific, verse 2. He says, uh, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. So it's that word for strangers, philoxenia. It's, it's philo, love, xenia, stranger. And uh, it's, it's like show love to people that you don't even know. And the writer adds this little, what was that to it? This little tease in there. Because some of you have entertained angels and you haven't even known it. Well, that's sort of a fascinating thing to write in there, isn't it? Yeah, you might want to ask me out to dinner because of that, right? You, you don't know, right? Uh, you can ask my wife. She can tell you I'm no angel. So that's, that's really the truth. But it's interesting that, that we are called on as a church to extend ourselves to people we don't even know and to show them hospitality, to serve in that way. My wife and I, when, when uh, we were married probably no more than, I don't think we were married too much more than a year, packed up all our belongings uh, in a U-Haul truck and uh, attached my Dodge Dart Swinger to the end of that truck and drove from Fargo, North Dakota to Springfield, Massachusetts. We were in a college ministry and, and uh, we were called on to, to uh, serve in New England. And we went to Springfield, Massachusetts, and we went there not knowing a soul there except some people that, was, that were part of our organization, and, and even those people we didn't know well at all. And I remember uh, settling in there, trying to, trying to get uh, accustomed to this new location and trying to figure out uh, where we were going to fit in. We found this, this church that um, we just fell in love with. It's called uh, Evangelical Covenant Church. It's in Springfield, Massachusetts. And those of you who know that denomination, it it's a, it's a, uh, began with, with Swedish immigrants who came to this country, really committed to their faith. They began this denomination. And uh, we attended this church, and there were a lot of, a lot of older people who had been part of this church for decades and uh, a Swedish background. We, we just enjoyed our, our uh, opportunity to worship with them. There's one man there that we met the first time we walked in. His name was, this is a great Swedish name, Nils Hackinson. Isn't that just the best Swedish name? And Nils was the kind of guy, he just, anyone who walked into that church that was new, he was the first one up to greet them, to smile, ask who they were, and welcome them into that fellowship. And we felt welcomed right away. We were strangers, but we were welcomed. Thanksgiving came of that year. We, we had, uh, didn't have enough money uh, to, travel back home. We both had parents in Florida at that time. We couldn't get home for Thanksgiving. Our son was, was, wasn't that old, and, and so we just thought we'd hunker down, and we got the invitation. Sure enough, it was from Nils Hackinson. 
and his wife Eileen, and we went over there. They had other guests, uh, other people of that church that didn't have, have family in that area. And remember that Thanksgiving, probably one of the best Thanksgivings that I ever experienced, of being welcomed and loved, even though they didn't hardly know us at all. This is part of what we do as believers, what we're called to do in terms of our service. Hospitality to strangers. And then he says in verse 3, continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison and those who were mistreated as if you were yourselves were suffering. So it's not just people you don't know, people that, that really you have no idea who they are, hospitality to strangers, but then he, then he takes us into this area of, of, of the, the ones who are oppressed, prisoners, people in prison, people who are being persecuted. And he says, join with them. Actively remember intention, with intentionality, not offhandedly or incidentally, but actively join with them emotionally and, 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 and bind your hearts with them so, so you can understand and join with them in their suffering. The writer of Hebrews takes us from the unknown, the strangers, to the outcasts, the prisoners, and the persecuted. I get a lot of ministry communications to people that, that we support their ministries, Renee and I, and uh, there's a couple in a uh, Muslim country that I won't share with you the name of that country, but they, they are natives of that country and, and they serve Christ there. They have a discipleship ministry, on college campuses and in churches there, and they spend their lives training other, other Christians in terms of how they can grow in their faith and, and the pastors in terms of how they can minister most effectively. But when their email comes through, I always read it carefully because that email usually contains some kind of situation where they've had some persecution and trouble. And many times the, uh, the injunction, that the, the plea is for prayer for, for physical protection as they share members of, of, of their community who have been beaten and imprisoned because of their faith. And I do that because I want to pray, and I want to pray effectively. And I want to join with them in that. We're called to do that as a body of believers. And prisoners. Yeah, I, I came to Summit, I think, right when, I think the year that we began uh, our outreach and ministry to, to the men at 33rd Street, and then it grew into also ministry to the women as well. I thought, well, that's, that's really a good thing that we're doing. I've always been uh, excited about that ministry, proud that we do that. I, I, think, it's, I think it's something that, that helps define us as a church. It's a place that, that, that we can serve. And then I realized over the years that this isn't just a ministry, that, that you men and women uh, at 33rd Street are an extension of who we are. You're, you're a campus. You're part of us. And I read through prayer requests, people that, that uh, put into the basket uh, during our, our worship services, and, and there are several from different campuses. But the longest list is always from, from the, the men and women at 33rd Street. And, and just this last week, I was reading through those, and I, I noticed that... that uh, one, one of the ones who says he was praying, he mentions in, in his prayer request that he is praying for us. So I'm praying for the Summit family. They were, oh, just aren't, these aren't men and women that, that, that we are serving. They're serving us in return. 
Tim Burkholder, who is, is one of our staff who works there, got a letter from uh, an inmate who, who was part of our ministry there, and uh, he was transferred to another facility, and he's serving the rest of his term there. And he wrote, in part, these words to not just Tim, but, but the, his, his brothers who he, he uh, worshiped with at 33rd Street. He, he says, I know the word says don't worry about tomorrow, and believe me, I'm not. I trust God to take care of everything. I'm currently involved in, in, in a prison Bible college, celebrate recovery, and, and an abundant life Bible study, but I can never get enough. I used to be lost and didn't know who I, who I truly was, but now I know I'm a repentant sinner and a child of God through the blood of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I thank the Lord for allowing your church to cross my path in life, and I thank you guys for taking your time to hear me out when I was at county jail in Orlando. God bless you. So, men and women at 33rd Street, I want to thank you for being a part of who we are as a church. And uh, thank you for serving us. Thank you for sharing your stories with us. Thank you for being with us as we grow in our faith. Uh, we could never, could never get to a place where we could equal what you've given back to us. And we thank you for that. I think this passage answers four quick questions that I want to conclude with in terms of, of our, our service and what we're called to do. Four key questions. First one is this. Why do we serve? I've already answered that first, first verse of this passage. We serve because we are loved, and then we are called then to love others. From love, God's, to love, loving others. So the bedrock motivation cannot be anything but love. Not whether or not the help is deserved, not the size of the need, not the cost of meeting the need. All that's immaterial because the, the primary reason we serve is because of love. God loves us and we extend that love to others. I, I've shared this with you before. When, when uh, my wife and I married, she went out and purchased my ring and uh, she said, uh, I inscribed something on the inside of the ring, which I thought was really nice of her to do, and I didn't know what it was. And I thought it was, would be like words of how much she loves me and what a great guy I am, and, and or, you know, something, you know, something really affirming like that. And, and so when I, finally, when I finally got the ring, I rolled it around like I'm doing now, and I, and I found what she wrote in it, and, and it was a scripture verse. She just put, put a, a text of a scripture verse. And I have to confess to you, I was mildly disappointed at first. I thought, oh, it's, oh, it's a verse. And then, and then I, I uh, looked it up, remembered what it was. It's 1 John 4.19. 1 John 4.19. Best thing she could have ever written. We love because he first loved us. It comes from love. We serve because he first served us. Whom do we serve? Well, we serve believers, we serve people who are in the household of faith, and we serve unbelievers as well. Galatians 6.10, Paul says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong 
to the family of believers. So we begin with our community, but we also extend that out to people who aren't in our community at all. Years ago, I listened to a message by Howard Hendricks. He was a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary, and he was talking about a situation he had. He, he was on the road for days and, and just had time to come home from the airport. He was already dressed in, in, in a suit and tie because he had to go off and speak at a church banquet that he'd lined up. They had several hundred people there, and it, it was some big deal. So he just had time to drop his bags off, get in his car, and head to this, to this other uh, event that he was doing. And uh, his son, who was probably around eight or nine years old, met him at the door and said, Dad, he said, when are you going to fix the tire on my bike? And Hendrick said that, uh, he said, I've been promising to do that for like six weeks, and it dawned on me that uh, my priorities were all out of whack. He said, so I took my coat off, I rolled up sleeves of my shirt, loosened my tie, went to the garage, and, and uh, for the next 45 minutes, I, I worked on that tire and got it fixed and pumped up and uh, tried to get the grease off my hands as best I could and showed up an hour and 15 minutes late to, to this event. And she said, I was met at the door by people in a tizzy. Where were you? Why weren't you here? He said, I was on time to speak. Everything was okay. But he said, I needed to do family first can't forget that in, in terms of our call to serving others. Whom do we serve? Believers, non-believers. Third question, how do we serve? We serve with empathy. We don't just go there, you know, in, in a perfunctory way, okay, let's get this job done and over with. There's more to it than that. When we serve others, we want to serve them not just with, with our actions, but also with our hearts. More than just a feeling, it's an attitude accompanied by an action. Serving done, done right costs us something. It certainly costs us time, sometimes it costs us money. That's Im almost immaterial. What really is important is serving needs to cost us emotionally. My mom, who was an interesting woman, she was, I loved her very much. She was. Uh, very faithful believer. My, my mom liked to have things neat and in order, but like any other household, you know, with, with, with three young children, it would get messy. My mom uh, would, would uh, allow things to get to a certain state, and then she would just sort of like white tornado clean it. And she was an angry cleaner. Do you have a parent like this? She was just angry. She just, what's this doing here? Why is this so dirty? And just like my, my younger brothers and I would go, mom's cleaning, and we just leave the house until it was done, right? Hey, when we serve, that's not the way to serve. The, the service needs to be done out of the heart. And we need to have some investment in it. I remember years ago talking to a financial planner. Didn't have much money, but I thought, well, it's time to figure out what to do with the little money I have and investing it and saving for retirement. And uh, this guy was a good salesman. He says, hey, I've got, some, got a place for you. We could put some money here. and, and uh, Got, got some mutual funds, and, and over time, this is, this is the return you can get. And, and I got pretty excited about that. And I, and I, I, I was ready to, to write a check out, not a big one, but a check, and, and, and sign up. And, and then I thought, wait a second. I said, um, hey, uh, what stocks do you have in your portfolio? And this guy, I, I'll never forget this guy. He got this Cheshire grin on his face, and he goes, oh, 
he says, it's the stock market, and you know, I just have a hard time trusting the stock market. I don't have any investments in it at all. <laughs> I did not sign up with that guy, because he didn't have any skin in the game. He was a good salesman, but his heart wasn't in it. When we serve, we're called to serve with our hearts, not just our time and money. And many times, we're called to serve with hearts that are broken, as people that we serve are, are going through difficult times. Last question, to what end do we serve? What do I get? What's in it for me when I serve, right? It's, it's always a bottom, bottom line that I think all of us naturally go to. There's nothing really, when you look at Jesus' words and what he calls us to, there's nothing that we should expect from the people we serve, nothing. Not even their thanks. It's, it's great when we get it, but that's not why we do it. Joy is the inevitable result of Christian service done well. Three aspects of it. First aspect is God's joy. Jesus in his parable that, of the talents given to, to the three men and uh, the, the, the two that invested well and, and got a return on their money when the master came back. Remember what the master says? Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful a little now. I will, I will make you, I will, uh, you can, now you can be faithful in much. Enter into, remember what he says? Enter into the joy of your master. Enter into the joy of your master. It's God's joy. Later on in that chapter, he talks about God separating on the right and the left the people who will come into the kingdom that the people will not. And it's all revolving around service, what they have done. And the king says to the, one, to the, to, to the masses on his right, he says, look, he, he says, you fed me. You gave me drink. You clothed me. You sheltered me. And the people respond, so, Lord, we don't remember doing that. He, when did we do that? And, 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 and the king replies, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. It's God's joy. That's one of the reasons we serve. Another aspect of that joy is the joy of other people. One of my favorite videos that I see every year, I always look forward to it, is when we, after we, we uh, collect and give out backpacks uh, when school starts for, for kids that uh, come from families that might not have the means to, to get those materials for them. And we, we as a church provide well over 500 backpacks and there's always a video of those kids getting those backpacks. And I love watching the joy on their face, the smiles of those boys and girls as they go and they grab one that they can use and use as their own. And that gives me joy. And that's the last aspect of joy. It's, it's, it's my joy. Paul says in Philippians 2, he says, brothers and sisters, make my joy complete by being a place where you can put someone else's needs before your own. So over the centuries and throughout the last two millennia, the overwhelming majority of selfless services come from Christians. Believers who who in community with each other and giving support to each other have established schools and hospitals and rescue missions, long-term care facilities, established organizations to feed the starving, help the poor, 
rescue the oppressed, free the slaves, and bring hope to the hopeless. And our job's not done. It's not done. Not yet. We're called still today to serve. One of the nights that we were receiving meals during our daughter's illness, uh, it was one of these January nights in Florida. And uh, sometimes it gets really cold in January in Florida. And there's something about Florida cold that is colder than cold up north. It's just, it just doesn't seem right that it just be so cold here. It was, it was in, in the high 30s this night. Uh, of course, it gets dark pretty early. And uh, a woman in the small group that we were involved in was, was bringing our dinner. And, and I knew that she lived in another part of town. We lived in East Orlando. She lived over in, in, uh, in West uh, western part of, of Orange County, and I knew it was a long way, but she wanted to, to bring us something. It's already dark by the time she came and she was out. I saw the, the van pull up in the, in the, or the SUV pull up in the driveway, and I went out in my, in my coat, and, and she got out. She had this casserole, I'll never forget. Her name is Barbara. And uh, she got out in her coat, and I saw from the light on, on her garage that uh, her face was flushed, and when she spoke, she could hardly speak. She had laryngitis. She was sick, had a fever all day. I said, Barbara, I said, how far did you have to drive to get here? She said, oh, traffic was tough, barely talk. Traffic was tough. It took about an hour. Huh. I said, Barbara, you didn't have to come and do this. She said, no, I wanted to. So we love you. I don't remember what kind of casserole it was or what kind of dish it was, but I remember Barbara. Remember that face. She did it out of love for a fellow believer with her compassionate heart. And I believe that she received her master's joy as a result. She sure received ours. You know, it's funny. I've lived now. I'm in my seventh decade of life. That just seems so old, doesn't it? My seventh decade. And my wife will, uh, and I will, will reminisce. We were going through some old letters that we had recently and, and, and with some pictures on them and just thinking back of all the years that we've been together, over 40 years together as a couple. You, you know the memories that come to my mind? These are the things that pop up. They're, they're the faces of people like Nils Hackinson. That face who, who welcomed us as strangers to a place that we didn't know anyone and served us in that capacity. Faces like Barbara Saws, who took time and effort sacrificed to serve us. Application's pretty simple tonight. I, I, I want to just be really straightforward with this. Um, your application step is nice serve. There you go. Uh, and I, I, I want to do it not as a commercial, but as a call. I, I, want, I want us to, to hear that call to serve. I think it's an excellent first step. And I know it's, it's serving 
outside of, of our, our family, but it's sort of nicer, I, I like liken this as training wheels. It gives us a chance to sort of see what it's like and put ourselves in, in an environment where we can serve. And we get to do it, which is really enjoyable. We get to do it as a community. We get to do it together. So on November 12th, Saturday, at 7.30, I want you to set your alarm clocks for 7.30 that day, okay? This is just do it, all right? Don't, don't even think about it, do it. And when you wake up, I want you to uh, just spend a little time in prayer, ask God to prepare your heart as you go serve. Uh, if, you, if you're married, uh, don't see if your spouse is going to go or not, just say encourage him or her, hey, we're going, okay? Get a good breakfast and get your nice green shirt on. It's great color on everybody, right? And then I want you to come to your campus. Those of you who are in Lake Mary, go to your, to your campus. Men, men and women at 33rd Street, we don't have a nice serve for you, but you can use that day, November 12th, to maybe think about how you can serve each other in some special capacity. And those of us here, you know, we can do Herndon. I want to encourage you to come with us, my wife and me, and see if we can kick up some dust together we can serve others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity we have to give back. We are so blessed because we have a Savior who came not to be served, but to serve us. And I pray that as we are obedient in this step, as a community and as individuals, that you would teach us what it means to love others more deeply, to love them well, and to enter into their lives for the sake of loving them like you love us. Pray that we could share Christ's love in this way. And I pray that we would be men and women who would grow as a result. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done for us and for how you served us. Thank you for the pr privilege of serving you. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Would you stand and sing with us?